Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off podcast. In today's episode, I've got Thomas Ballin with me. Thomas, why don't you give us a quick introduction? So, hi, I'm uh, Thomas Ballin, technical team lead at Sakama, um, responsible for a range of technical services, including delivering consultancy in web application testing, uh, infrastructure testing, and some of our more advanced services, things like red teaming and objective led penetration testing. I'm also responsible for uh, managing a team, uh, overseeing quite a lot of our sort of operational stuff, and I'm just sort of a, a jack of all trades at the company, really. It's great to hear you frame it in such a way. Usually when I introduce myself, I'm just like, I hack things for a living. But you put it in such a, yeah, a wonderfully professional way. So uh, Thomas makes this company work to some degree, certainly on the um, testing side of things. And the topic that Thomas and I have picked for today's podcast is the MITRE ATT&CK framework. So before we jump into it, um, do you want to give us a quick introduction for those who have never heard that term before? What is the the framework? What is ATT&CK? Yeah, sure. So uh, MITRE ATT&CK is, a, is effectively a series of lists that describe the uh, techniques, the tactics, and the uh, practices that can be used by an attacker when attempting to penetrate compromise and uh, cause an adverse impact upon a network. So it, it, it's really a, uh, a series of potential steps that an attacker may be able to take when they're trying to achieve a specific goal or objective. Oh, you make it sound so interesting. It's not like hacking tool sets. It's a series of lists. So... Um... What is in these lists? Are these um, a list of just malicious actions? Is is it the case that if you spot any of these on your network, there is an attacker on the network and you should panic? No, so so a lot of the actions themselves are not objectively malicious. They're not uh, necessarily even actions that you need to be concerned about if you observe on the network. Some of them are classic administrative actions. Some of them are even classic user actions. They just describe things that an attacker may be able to use in order to achieve a specific objective. So, for example, in the reconnaissance list um, in the framework, it describes things like active scanning, um, now, that could be used in a much more classic penetration testing type form in, in the list for uh, discovery. It describes things like network share discovery. Now, that's something that when you introduce a new device to a network, it may automatically do. So a lot of these things are independent of each other, relatively they shouldn't come across as malicious, but when, when put together, they could be an indicator that there is something wrong or somebody uh, doing something questionable on the network. Yeah, that's the difficult thing with computers, isn't it? It's like if your network detects a port scan, is that somebody trying to hack in or is that a system administrator trying to work out why something's not working? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's uh, it, it, It's being able to take the information that's available to you and discern based on not just one piece of information, but several pieces of information coupled together that there is something questionable going on. And that's sort of, that's where MITRE ATT&CK comes in. If, if you have a um, somebody performing an action that constitutes reconnaissance, then also performing an action that constitutes uh, initial access and execution, then there is 
indication that they are potentially a malicious actor. Whereas if it's just, for example, reconnaissance, then perhaps it's just somebody doing some research or something along those lines. Yeah, and it's not necessarily uh, somebody either. You, you mentioned earlier, it could just be an automated system, like a device doing network discovery or something. So it's not necessarily a hacker. It could just be a, a machine, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the attack framework is used to describe the attack paths that occur. That doesn't necessarily have to be an individual. It doesn't necessarily have to be an automated service. And in some contexts, it could be, for example, a, a malicious insider. So it doesn't even have to be somebody... Mm. a sophisticated technical capability yeah so you you described it as a a series of lists for those who haven't yet managed to bring it up and take a look at it um how is it broken down how is it uh displayed to somebody who might be looking at the framework so there are about 12, 12 or 13 individual lists Uh, So, for example, there's a list for reconnaissance, a list for resource development, one for initial access. I won't list them all, but each of them are the steps that MITRE consider to, when coupled together, form a complete attack chain, form a a complete description of what an attacker or what a person or, or, or an automated tool may do to accomplish an objective on the network. So, um... The, the chain would be one item from the first list, one item from the second list, one item from the third list, so on and so forth. Potentially, then be, there being multiple items um, on each list that an attacker uses if they're sort of exploring different pathways through the, uh, through the network. Yeah. But, but really, the core objective would be to describe an attack path, which takes one item from each list to describe the complete picture of the attack that, that occurred. So you could think of it a little bit like uh, guiding through the stages of a pen tester methodology. But in this case, we're talking more broadly. It's not necessarily a pen tester, but it's an attack that could have taken place. So it's going to be the the key stages for compromising an organization, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how is this useful then? I mean, let's. I guess we could break this down to offensive and defensive side of things, right? So let's start with the offensive side of things. As a you know, as a security consultant, how is this framework beneficial to us when talking to customers? So the framework is useful to us in a few key ways, really. One of the ways that it's useful is it helps us to be able to perform a gap analysis of the customer network. So what we can do is we can say we will establish whether you have effective defensive controls in any one of these lists or effective network controls that cover a broad range of the individual components of each of the lists. So um, an organization can understand really where um, where they are missing controls and, and perhaps where they, uh, they, they fall short in some areas to be able to, uh, to, to mitigate the risks associated with each of the techniques described in the framework. Um, But it can also be useful when we are performing assessments in us coming up with the ideas for the ways that we may be able to explore and exploit a network. So, for example, if you hit a roadblock when you are trying to get um, assistance on a device, that's when you are trying, once you have compromised a device, to find a way to be able to keep hold of that foothold and and not be kicked off the the device when that when you're detected. So it's it, it gives us the opportunity that we can review the framework. We can consider, okay, we have tried this technique, maybe we need to try a different technique. 
And finally, it can just be used as a way, as a shared understanding, a point at which we can describe to the client the steps that we took during the assessment. So a way for us to be able to explain the, uh, the attack chain um, using something that is, is centralized and fairly well understood across the industry, across blue teams and red teams alike. So you use that uh, generic term there, gap analysis and controls. Is this uh, something that a uh, organization would be looking at just from the um, defensive, like blocking the attack point of view? Or is this useful also in the context of detecting an attack? Yes. Yeah, so from a, uh, from a defensive team, from a blue team's perspective, this is very useful in being able to understand what sorts of attacks you need to block or mitigate in some form. So that, that is not all of these techniques are things that can be blocked. As, as we mentioned before, some of the techniques also constitute standard administrative actions and indeed not even administrative action. Things like file and directory discovery is something that you on most networks you need to allow to be able to let people perform their day-to-day tasks. So it's, it's an opportunity for the defensive team to be able to consider if you cannot mitigate this through putting restrictions and controls into the network, can you mitigate the risk or reduce the risk of this by having monitoring capabilities to say, okay, this is something that's occurring. We, we need to flag and highlight that somebody is performing this discovery um, and then keep an eye on them. And if they, for example, move on from that to any one of the nine techniques that are listed in lateral movement, then we suspect that this is not a traditional action used by an end user. This is mm-hmm. potentially part of an attack chain. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear you use the term attack chain there because very often when we're looking at security testing and penetration testing, we think of things in, in terms of those stages of an engagement, don't we? Or maybe the, the steps within a pen testing methodology. Whereas very often when we look at organizations that have compromises, you know, we talk about it as if it's a boolean, like it's a single thing that happened. This company was breached, you know, the breach being a single thing. Whereas what you're describing is in actuality a real world attack. Um, there's there's uh, layers to it, right? There's the stages that the threat actor goes through. Yeah, so that's that's a really key thing as well. Yeah, from the uh, from the defensive side, being able to say start at the point where you have identified an attack or identified a compromise might not be the point at which the compromise began. So, for example, if you have identified that some credentials are being used that should not be used. So some credentials are being used on a system for which there is no reasonable reason for them to be used. That does not mean that the attack began with those credentials being compromised. That might mean that the attack began with somebody being able to find a remote way onto the system on which the credentials were initially stored. So it's it's a case where the attacker um, has gone through their attack chain and the defensive team now needs to recognize not only that single point they need to work backwards and they need to work forwards to fill in which of each of the components of the uh, the framework have the attacker used so that the defensive team can be entirely confident that they have understood the attack in its entirety so it's a great way to to enable you to communicate, but also understand those stages and, and work backwards from, okay, we detected this malicious activity, but but what happened before that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's a way to make sure you've not forgotten anything when you're trying to describe the attacker, really. 
Yeah. So is this the kind of thing that, uh, you know, if a customer is hearing this, they think, hey, this this framework sounds great. We want to start using it. Is this something that you have to apply, you know, as a the, the framework comes all or nothing? Or is this something that you can start breaking down and doing small um, tests here and there to see where your capability is? So the framework itself is just is publicly available. It's free to use and um, a organization is entirely free and entitled to take the information available there and start considering what they consider to be significant in their organization. Um, if what they want to do is perform these sorts of gap analysis um, exercises or just take little snippets and understand, sort of get, get a, um, a rough understanding of where they are, where their security posture is. And, and you know, if they, for instance, got maybe 10% down approximately or or maybe they've, uh, you know, they've got 80% of, uh, of the techniques covered, then that's something that can be done through a process um, called atomic red teaming, where effectively you take um, each of the granular techniques and you attempt to perform that technique on the network and you review with the, uh, with the blue team, with the defensive side, to be able to understand, was that technique successful? Was it identified? Was it mitigated? Um, and you just you just work through granularly and, and and establish effectively whether or not they are are meeting their requirements for mitigating each of the uh, each of the techniques. Yeah, I guess there's also uh, a thing there as well about not only being able to you know detect and block these techniques, but being able to to draw that chain that you spoke about. Because I think you know um, every monitoring tool in the world can tell you, hey, an attack is taking place, but if you can't work out the actual chain of what the the threat actor is up to, you know how they gained access, how they privilege escalated, how they propagated those kinds of things, then knowing an attack's taken place is is useless, right? So it's like a adding granularity. Yeah, I mean, the the way a traditional red team works effectively is that what we would do is we would attempt to perform a um, complete attack chain end-to-end and just detail in the uh, in the middle any of the techniques that we attempted to use that didn't get us closer to that end goal. So that's also another way that the, uh, that the framework sort of comes into play as a way to describe the actions that have been performed during a red team engagement, where you'll see rather than a attack path that's just a straight linear line from, from start to finish, one, one um, component of each of the sections of the framework. Instead, you'll see a line that forks out five or six times, but doesn't quite get as far from, from reconnaissance through to the impact, apart from in one instance, which is the path of least resistance determined during the assessment. So potentially, the, uh, the biggest area of weakness it, that was identified within the uh, within the assessment. Yeah, I think that's a really key thing uh, that's maybe different in the way that um, security testers, pen testers think than maybe defensive teams do. I know very often just doing, I'm, I'm not even talking about red teaming here, I'm just talking about like traditional penetration testing. Very often they'll compromise, you know, a dozen accounts and then use one of them for the engagement. But it's still important to let the customer know that there were these other paths that I had available or maybe even these other paths that I tried that weren't successful so that they get an understanding of where their defenses are working and where they're not. Aside from just the, this is how I hacked you part. Yeah, that's one of the most important things that we've been um, we've been developing internally in terms of the way that we describe attacks. It's a way of 
appropriately communicating instances where an organization has done effective security mitigation and areas where an organization hasn't performed effective mitigation, but there isn't a risk that was observed during the assessment. Now, the, the former of those two is, is slightly easier to be able to describe to a, um, to a client where we effectively say, look, we weren't able to perform these attacks because your environment had been appropriately hardened. But the, uh, the latter of those is where the MitraTrack framework becomes particularly powerful because it's a way of showing this didn't lead anywhere during the engagement because we found this alternate route. But this, if not given due care and attention, could lead somewhere either by an attacker at this point or in future if you make slight changes to your environment. So highlighting those potential attack paths. I think that's one of the big things, isn't it, where we think about the way that security tests are, are driven. Uh, be it, you know, on a pen test, that'll be a time-limited engagement, and I'm not going to try everything because I don't have all of the time in the world. And on a red team or similar, you know, advanced security test, um, maybe we're, we're making choices there about uh, we have some options here, but this is like less likely to be detected, or we're taking this path because it matches a specific threat profile, or we're taking this path because there's some other reason, and we're selecting these paths as we go, but that doesn't discount the, the existence of other options. No, and it, it also means that once we finish the engagement, this is a conversation that I've had with a couple of separate clients quite recently, once we finish the engagement, we still understand the attack paths that are available and can go back and attempt to validate those if an attack if a client sees the value in it so we've given them what we determine to be a reasonable amount of time to achieve an objective we've achieved that objective in that time and then afterwards the client said this has been you know this has been a really valuable exercise but if we give you x number more days can you go away and can you establish if these other attack paths that you highlighted the potential are also legitimate. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, if somebody's listening to this though, and they've only ever gone down the the traditional uh, security testing route, maybe they've had vulnerability scanning and they've had a penetration test. You know, they're it, what they're used to is receiving a report that is just a list of vulnerabilities, right? There's not necessarily this kind of attack chain that you're describing here. So if a customer starts looking at building the MITRE attack framework in and starts looking at building up their maturity towards red team engagements, um, how how does that impact the the deliverable? How does that impact the way that we you know give the customer the report at the end of the engagement? So the reporting styles for uh, traditional testing and for these objective-led tests are quite different in, in some ways. We refer to them as objective-led tests because really what we are trying to do is identify attack paths towards a specific objective. So that's where the framework really fits particularly well. Um, but the, the, the key distinction being in a normal engagement, what we would try to do in a traditional engagement, I should say, what we would try to do is describe as many individual vulnerabilities um, and while we would attempt to, to cross-reference them when it was possible to couple two or, or three together to be able to increase the risk of one. What we're not trying to do is really explore how, for example, significantly lower risk vulnerabilities are 
perhaps just as big an issue to an organisation as the issues that independently we consider to be higher risk. What an objective-led assessment does is disregard the individual risk of an issue and says, is an issue important to be able to achieve and obtain a specific um, goal? So this is this is a completely different approach that we're describing here. Then penetration testing is, you know, going to give you a list of vulnerabilities and and maybe uh, chain some of those vulnerabilities together. But you're describing here this um, objective-led penetration testing or objective-led reports, where we're we're taking this uh, language that we've we've got through the framework uh, and trying to draw the customer through the stages of the attack. Is is that the case? Yeah, so an objective-led assessment is an assessment that is really striving to describe these attack paths to be able to understand how independent issues, some of which during a traditional assessment might be highlighted as low-risk or even informational findings only, how, how those may actually impact the overall security of the environment, whereas a traditional assessment will really look to give a granular understanding of how each individual vulnerability has been observed. And they both have merits, right? A, if you want coverage of an assessment, then a traditional assessment makes a lot of sense. So coverage being, if you want to be confident that your web application is not affected by the OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities and perhaps a few others, traditional assessments fit perfectly. If what you want is an efficient way to be able to confidently say that your user database containing personally identifiable information is not vulnerable to attack, but you don't necessarily need to be able to answer the question as to whether or not usernames can be enumerated within the application, then perhaps an objective-led assessment fits your specific requirements better. I think that's a big thing as well that um, maybe gets missed a little bit when we talk about vulnerability scanning and pen testing and red teaming is that, you know, it, it isn't the case that one kind of assessment is just better than the others. It isn't the case that you get to a certain level of maturity such that you're running red team engagements and you just stop doing vulnerability scanning, right? It's like they they each have different, uh, different goals uh, and they're, they're each better in different ways, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the favourite questions that I have when discussing with a client, whether or not they actually want to go down the road of this objective-led testing or red teaming is simply, what is the question you are trying to answer? Because classically, the answer I get is, is my environment secure? And if yeah. you're trying to answer a question quite that broad, then it needs to be refined a little bit before we can confidently say that a red team is the right type of assessment. If what you're trying to say is, would an attacker with 10 days worth of time and, and resources be able to cause significant damage to my network and, and disruption to my environment, then perhaps it is the right type of assessment. But if what you're trying to do is find the most efficient way to establish whether or not your 100 servers are exposing network services that, that are vulnerable to classic and traditional exploits, it's probably not the right route to take. So uh, guiding clients to identify what question they actually want to have answered helps guide whether or not an objective-led assessment or a traditional penetration test is the, uh, it is the right path to go down. I think that's a great way of putting it. It's like, what, are you, what is the objective, right? So if your objective is, do we have any missing software patches? It's like, great, get a vulnerability scanner because that's going to find that in the most um, cost-efficient way. 
if you're looking for can these vulnerabilities to be chained together to cause a real world risk then great that's pen testing and what we're saying here is there's another level above that in terms of this objective led engagement where we're looking at something you know something different so can we can we give some examples of this i guess one that that we've, we've talked about here is um if you're trying to uh, simulate a certain um threat profile so if there's some specific group that you're concerned about, maybe due to threat intelligence, it sounds like this would be a good mechanism of testing those. And and then you also mentioned this having a certain time frame. So saying, you know, how much impact can you cause within ten days kind of thing. Is it is it those kinds of things that you would you would lead a customer towards, oh, you should have an objective led pen testing or, or something more in that red teaming space? Yeah, exactly. So it's the sorts of questions that I'd like to hear a customer asking to be able to confidently say that the answer to that is an objective-led assessment of some description are questions where they say they have concern about a specific type of attack that might have gone on previously that they may have observed. They have concern of a specific threat actor that may be uh, targeting their organization, or they have a level of confidence in the security of their environment, and they would like to establish whether that confidence is is reasonably and fairly placed. Um, and, and the final one is they want to assess more of their monitoring capabilities across a range of intertwined services and and, and its detection error is the thing they would like to understand better. Uh, the sorts of questions that I'd expect for a more traditional test are questions around whether or not the environment is secure to the OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities, whether the environment has the appropriate levels of patching in place, um, whether they have done reasonable security hardening and they've closed off network services that shouldn't be exposed publicly, those, those sorts of questions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I tell you something else that I often talk to customers about. Um, I like to oversimplify it in terms of like, when you stop getting value out of a certain engagement. So it's like, hey, when you run a vulnerability scanner and it stops finding things, that's when you should look at pen testing. And when your pen tester stops finding things, that's when you should look at red teaming. That's oversimplified. What what I typically mean by that, though, is um, when that engagement has uh, delivered the value and you need to test a broader scope. So an example would be, you know, very often on, on pen testing, a customer might say, oh, can you, you know, try and compromise our website? You know, can you use technical attacks to try and compromise our website? Whereas what, what that doesn't cover is, you know, those um, interconnections between systems. Is a threat actor actually going to try and, you know, brute force the, the login box on your website? Probably not. They're probably going to fish users and then use the credential stolen from phishing to target their website. So it's like linking those things together is when I start pushing customers towards red teaming. And, and I think, you know, what, what you're describing here links back to the attack framework that we've been talking about of when you start looking at those attack chains, that's when you should start looking at objective-led pen testing. Absolutely. One key thing that I sort of I want to get across is, although I agree with what you say about the the when you stop getting value, that's perhaps when you should look at the more more sophisticated services. It's trying to explain that while that is true, that does not make a red team, for example, the gold standard, the the more sophisticated but still of the same ilk service to penetration testing and indeed penetration testing to VA scanning, they still likely within an organization may, may all have a place at the same time because they are intended to answer different questions. 
Oh, yeah. No, like I, I completely concede that point. Absolutely. You know, it, it isn't the case that you graduate past one kind of assessment, is it? It's just that at, at a certain level, you'll start getting value from these things. I think uh, to, to kind of like add clarity to what I mean by that is one of the things I worry about from a customer who has a very low level of maturity is they'll have an objective led pen test or something like that. And they'll say, or maybe just more like a, a red team. So, hey, can you can you compromise our organization using technical, physical and social techniques? And then the end result of that engagement is, yes, we can. And here is the method that we did. And red teaming, with it being uh, focusing around, you know, a specific path of exploitation doesn't necessarily. In fact, it certainly doesn't give you the same level of assessment breadth as something like vulnerability scanning does. Right. If you're looking to see are all of our servers patched. A red team is not going to deliver that to you. A red team is just going to tell you that, you know, this attack chain was successful and this is how we compromised this system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the um, one of the really, really important things for a, for a customer to understand is the fact that if you are going to go down the path of an assessment that reviews a specific attack path, then that does not give you insight into the risks associated with one of any 10, 20, 30 other potential attack paths. I mean, certainly we may explore some different attack paths, but the the assessment will tell you that there is a significant risk of a objective being achieved by an attacker, like a customer database being compromised, but it's not going to tell you are the 30 servers in between at risk or at risk of some level of uh, some level of compromise. So coverage is not something that a red team generally aims to achieve answers to specific questions about specific objectives is what a uh, what a red team accomplishes yeah and there's also the aspect around um you know when i'm doing a pen test and i'm not typically trying to do that undetected you know the it team know what i'm doing what i'm what i'm up to whereas on the on this type of engagement i'm talking about here very often that's an aspect of it right it's like not only can we compromise this system but can we compromise this system in such a way that we're not detected or not um, detected certainly quickly enough yeah, so being covert and operational security are factors that slow down an engagement quite quite a bit. So where we can avoid having to do those in a traditional assessment, for example, you will get a lot more coverage for your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And cost efficient is like a, a big thing for a lot of businesses, isn't it? It's like, there's no point if this is the best assessment in the world and then we can't deliver it in a way that's like achievable to that customer. Um that sounds great, though. That sounds like a, a really good kind of overview of, of what the attack framework is. We've described it to, to customers. We've described it to, to the people that are listening. Where would you say that, that somebody should get started? Is this literally just like grab a copy of the framework and start reading it? Or is there, there some preamble? So, I mean, the, the framework is freely available for anybody to use. So you can go on to it. You can, you can look and start to do a gap analysis yourself of where you think you stand in terms of your mitigations to each of the individual techniques. You can also go and there is freely available open source material to be able to start working through establishing whether those are effective. If you have a level of confidence that you and your security team can perform what's called an atomic red team, then you can go through the atomic red team there was an actual github where you can go through each of the checks for that to be able to understand the mitigations uh whether they're effective and any monitoring that you may have for those and then uh once you're happy with all of that or or if you need a little bit of assistance with all of that then that's the point where um, consultancy organizations like ourselves can can really step in and say okay you understand your environment to be at this level of maturity 
you understand yourself to be able to mitigate the risks associated with these tools, these techniques, these practices, or at least you understand your organization to have mitigations in place for persistence and privilege escalation. Let's go in and let's establish whether or not that is an accurate depiction of your environment. Yeah, because it's, it's very difficult to mark your own homework, isn't it? It's very difficult, you know, to, to know truly if you weren't expecting this engagement, you know, to can you can you triage it? Can you kind of separate the, the chaff and say, you know, if an, if this is a real attack and not something that we planned, would we actually be able to detect it? So I think that's where, you know, organizations, third party organizations can come in and kind of like, you know, help you mark your homework and get that independent view of, of how well you do. Yeah, absolutely. And being slightly biased as well, I am just working with my um, red team hat on here. I should also say that an organization can start immediately with the consideration to answer the questions, not only are there mitigations and monitoring in place, but can they currently go through and answer questions related to each of those techniques? So is a company confident that they can, for example, aggregate all of the information related to phishing attacks that have happened or relating to um, domain policy modifications that have attacked that have happened so so the blue team can do a gap analysis of their capabilities their, their technical ability to be able to um, understand each and every one of the components of the uh, of the framework so it's, it's building more on you know traditional pen testing is like going to find vulnerabilities and security risks right it's what we're talking about here it's like not only can we do that to some degree but also we can effectively determine how effective your your monitoring is as well how effective the the blue team are yeah exactly and, and as i say the first step in that i think is the blue team just going through looking at each of the individual components of this and saying if i wanted to find out right now what the the answer to whether this is occurring how would i do that if i don't know the answer to how i would do that then that's something that perhaps I need to consider introducing a way to be able to do. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We'll uh, we'll drop a link to the MITRE ATT&CK framework in the show notes then for people who want to take a look through that and get a bit more understanding about the specifics of what we've talked about today. But um, Thomas, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.